I'm Alex Shaw. I'm Sharon Shaw. Welcome to School of Everything Else. This is a discussion about the 2003 adult animated science fiction anthology film produced by the Wachowskis. That's literally what it says on Wikipedia. And while this should technically be in the School of Movies category, the framing device is a discussion on transmedia which actively defies defining this as simply a movie. So I have put it in the school of everything else category. It was originally supposed to be part of our Matrix Revolutions, the third film discussion, but it ended up being so meaty and so brain-bendingly transcendent that I figured, you know what, make this a thing on its own and then make Revolutions a thing on its own. And it was, it was the right thing to do. Revolutions next week. If you've not yet had the pleasure and strangely unbalanced discomfort, I'd suggest seeing it first. You can find it on HBO Max and to rent on YouTube and Apple TV. So without further ado, The Animatrix. From the creators of The Matrix Trilogy. What is The Animatrix? We know the truth now. Experience the extraordinary fusion of CG animation and Japanese anime in a groundbreaking collection of nine animated stories from seven visionary directors that takes the world of the Matrix to its unimaginable limits. I'm going back to the Matrix and I want you to come with me. The second renaissance. The machines earned no respect from their masters. The machines worked tirelessly to do man's bidding. It was not long before seeds of dissent took root. Hand over your flesh. The new world awaits you. May there be mercy on man and machine for their sins. Program. What's real doesn't matter. I won't look away from the truth. I can't. Running away won't change anything! You betrayed us, didn't you? It's just a matter of time before Zion is wiped out. No! Kid's story. They're coming for you. Get out. Get out now. This is not real. Somewhere else. World record. Only the most exceptional people become aware of the Matrix. Take your mark! I have an unstable signal. It's the last chance for me to prove them wrong. He cannot wake up. Do not let him wake up. This house is haunted. You know you're not supposed to go in there. You don't belong here. Let go! Seal the area off now. Detective story. I have a job for you. I'm looking for a computer hacker, alias Trinity. Trinity doesn't exist. I knew this was some kind of trap. You've stepped to the edge of the looking glass. Matriculated. 
We won't beat the machines by making them our slaves. Better to let them join us by choice. That world we show them isn't real. To an artificial mind, all reality is virtual. Come on, damn it, help me! Final flight of the Osiris. Sentinels. There's thousands of them. Directly above us. Zion has to be warned. Go, go. Come get some. into the world of the Matrix. Welcome back to our Matrix series. With us again are Victoria Luna B. Grieve, who goes by the hacker alias Seoprates. Thanks for having me back. I'll probably have to explain that at some point. Uh, but that's the thing. No one ever explains their Matrix names. I was going to give everyone the floor, and it's like, you know what? Best just to be very enigmatic, and we don't know why they're called each special name. Okay, are you making some of those up? Nope, they're all real. Probably worth the Google. So, <laughs> Brendan Agnew, who goes by the hacker alias Surge. How's it going? Mackenzie Eastrom, who goes by the alias Proxy. Here online. And Alexa Vargas, who goes by Ishtar. So glad to be back. And Sharon, your hacker name is? Headset. Operator standing by. <laughs> no explanation required. Uh, listeners, tweet us your Matrix names. Think obscure mythological figures and now antiquated analog programming terms and computer parts. Mine is either a Nancy or Daisy Wheel. My husband went with Kodak. I love it. <laughs> I also, uh, in the back burner, I had screensaver, graphics card, Trojan, spam, scrape, fungible, and of course... Have you tried forcing an unexpected reboot? <laughs> <laughs> my, my one metamorph uh, suggested Jormungander, and I'm like, that's a pretty solid name. <laughs> I think it's very interesting that uh, the two trans ladies went with mythological figures. I love that, especially. <laughs> I like, Alexa, you told me your name first, so when I saw uh, what Victoria's was, I was like, oh, that's too perfect. I okay. can't <clears throat> mix. But uh, I don't think I've got Ooh. enough brooding darkness. <laughs> Lady Knight. Uh, actually, we were going to do the Animatrix first, but uh, Victoria has a question for all of us, so you just fire away. It's about the Matrix <laughs> yes. franchise, as I understand it. And essentially, so I've been watching these these movies for the podcast along with a partner or two, and we ended up having a really big conversation last night after watching Revolutions, uh, and we had watched the Animatrix the day before. And it's specifically, it goes like this. The Matrix as a canon, as a franchise, as a story, is it was intended to be a transmedia property. And I cannot think of another example of this that is so varied that did it so well. And we we went for hours trying to figure this out. So I wanna I wanna lay it out for you. Mm -hmm. The canon of the Matrix, if you take all of the different pieces, it starts with 
parts of the Animatrix, then goes into the first movie, then goes into the first half of one of the video games, which is actually you playing Niobe and Ghost leading up to them saving Morpheus on the highway, the highway and then yeah. them leaving the highway and continuing their story to where their ship needs a jump that we find. So there's an, there's an entire game that you play as those that weaves in and out of the story. There's also two other parts of the Animatrix that fit in before Reloaded, then Reloaded happens, then the other half of that game, then uh, Revolutions happens, then The Matrix Online with uh, other Animatrix being side stories, and then Resurrections. So we go from animated feature to movie to game to movie to game to movie to game to movie. And we were trying to think of, because we've, I said, well, this is interesting because The Matrix is doing this transmedia property over a decade ago when it was a, an idea that was put forth by just the creators, a couple of creators. And we're seeing, like, other franchises try to do this. Like, Marvel has the movies and the TV shows, but it doesn't have this weaving back and forth. Most of the games I can think of that are related to large franchises are side stories or superfluous. They are not, they don't lead into the canon in any meaningful way. And so the question that I want to pose is, can you think of another transmedia property that does this, that, that is even remotely close to this level? I have one answer to that that we came up with, but I wanted to see if anybody else could think of any. I will... Okay, go go first. Very shortly. Not a great example of this, but potentially interesting to consider in the future is that James Cameron's Avatar series, almost every single one of the video games is technically canon and follows part mm. of the um, lore of, of the world. None of them are great video games, and you, well. obviously people have strong opinions about Avatar as a... <laughs> As a, as a film, and we'll see what the sequels, if, if they ever actually happen, uh, look like. But it is interesting as, as an attempt at it, because almost nobody actually seems to know that that's a thing that happened. Mm. So one of the rules that we, we, we decided had to be a part of this conversation is how many transitions of media it required to be a true transmedia property. Because mm -hmm. if it goes from one medium to another medium, like... Uh, like uh, there were a lot of animated shows that then became comics or like Firefly became comics technically in canon, but that's only one transition. There needs to be a second one. So if the movies, if the sequels for Avatar come in and they tie in the video games and or I guess the theme park attractions, uh, because that would be another good example, I think. Uh, because I think Avatar is a really good pool, potentially. We'll oh, see, then Back I to guess. the Future, which went movie, terrible TV series, cartoon, ride. But the but the TV series and the cartoon Was did not, than did not get referenced, and they never got referenced by the movies. Yeah. It's not that the, it's not a weaving; it's a side conversation. Yeah, the, the biggest. One the okay. one I was going to say was the Mad Max video game, but that one's kind of cheating because, like, none of the Mad Max movies feel like yeah. they have anything to do with the previous ones other than just generally. The game does exactly the same thing. It's like, yeah, this is Mad Ma this is Max on another adventure, and then it's over. And it's like, okay, yep, that is the experience of most of the movies as well. <laughs> we uh, compared the Mad Max series to uh, Legend of Zelda when we uh, covered them in uh, when we covered Fury Road, and that was 
just after the official canon had been released, which actually did sequentially add up the uh, the Zelda timeline. But it honestly very rarely feels like there is a direct... It doesn't feel, when you're playing a Zelda video game, like you are walking upon the bones of a very specific game that came before, except occasionally, like when I stumbled into Lon Lon Ranch when I was playing Breath of the Wild... I did, however, have a very good idea of a, a series that kind of tried to copy exactly this. Anyone think? It was early 2000s. The 2000s? Uh, no. And it was leading by example. This, uh, the whole transmedia idea came when uh, they were doing a, a press junket for uh, the Matrix's, the original Matrix's uh, Japanese release. And the Wachowskis toured a load of anime studios. They were like... Like, Warner Brothers, get us in with all of these creators that we love. And they went around and met everybody and saw where everyone worked. And they were, you know, sort of looking at the various studios. And then Joel Silver describes that on the plane ride back, um, uh, Lily got a yellow pad and just started writing and, and, like, spidering out. And then this happens. And then what you're describing, Victoria, was literally on this notepad. Just, and then this, and then this, and then this. And just the the inspiration hit them right there. And this was a relative success. The other one that I'm thinking of was actually really not a success, despite a huge amount of money being pumped into it by Universal. Universal? And Proximate with Matrix, not the Dark Universe. <laughs> oh, hang on. I think right. I just heard it. Brendan. It, you're, you're, refer- you're referencing the Chronicles of Riddick, aren't I you? I am indeed. Oh, okay, fun. so yeah. as far as I can remember, the timeline of this goes. The Escape from Butcher Bay video game. Pitch Black. The animated short Riddick... Dark Fury, animated by Peter Chung, who did Matriculated for the Animatrix, because they were trying to have their own Animatrix. There is a man inside this vessel who is something far worse than anyone here has ever encountered. The Chronicles of Riddick, which is the centerpiece of The Chronicles of Riddick, and has the dumbest name of all fucking time if you want to call your overarching saga The Chronicles of Riddick. Then everybody hated it. Everyone went away for a long time. Then they came back in 2009. With a remaster of Escape from Butcher Bay on Xbox 360, which was coupled with The Chronicles of Riddick Assault on Dark Athena, a brand new adventure, though honestly, from memory, I don't know if it was before The Chronicles of Riddick or after The Chronicles of Riddick, but it was definitely in The Chronicles of Riddick. See what I mean? Either way, Assault on Dark Athena was generally agreed upon to be inferior to Escape from Butcher Bay, which is worth tracking down and seeing if you can find it and play it. Or, if nothing else, maybe find it on YouTube. And this was five years after the 2004 film The Chronicles of Riddick, and it was made by Starbreeze Games who did The Darkness. And it was just sort of on its own. It wasn't tied to a film release. Didn't exactly set the world on fire. So they went away for four more years before coming back in 2013 with a film simply entitled Riddick, also known as Riddick Ruled the Dark. Although it really should be known as The Chronicles of Riddick Ruled the Dark. Wasn't all that shit hot. Still some problems, plus some new problems. Sharon and I will be covering this transmedia series, but the short of it is 
The only movie absolutely worth your time is the original Pitch Black, which still remains fantastic. What these two properties we've settled on have in common is that they're um, sort of shepherded by huge fucking nerds. <laughs> yep. I do have one more example now mm -hmm. that I'm thinking of. That especially after the Disney acquisition, Star Wars is very much attempting oh, yeah. to do this. Yeah, I was just so I, but I would I say succeeding. Well, hang on. Okay, three people are talking at once. Someone's about to interject to Mackenzie. Hold that back. Was that uh, Victoria? That was me. That, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah, okay. I, I, so Mackenzie go, then Victoria, uh, counterpoint, then Sharon come in as well. So after the the wipe of the EU, which was a, a, a bold attempt at something like this, but obviously an extremely messy and hugely complicated one, we've got several video games that occur ages and ages before all of the primary content Total, of the Star Wars yeah. universe. Uh, then we've got the prequels and we've got all of the other movies. We've got comics, we've got video games, we've got animated series and we also have basically an animatrix now which i loved star wars visions and i don't know how many of those are canon but they're all interconnected in ways that are interesting and some of them have spin-off books which imply that they are you know part of the whole thing at this point victoria so we, you keep hissing go go yeah, well, no, so i, I want to jump in somewhere. so it's we, a podcast so, of snakes yes it's true put this in doubly so the, the, the trick is we ended up – a big bulk of our argument was about Star Wars actually because it is a really – Oh, an uh, argument about problem, Star Wars must be the internet. <laughs> yeah, right. But the, the problem is we do actually know what is considered canon at least by the creators because all of the games and, and comics and books and stuff were deemed non-canon at mm -hmm. one point. And the vast majority of that ancillary material is not referenced by the movies in a way that is meaningful because a lot of them are like the movies just have a lot of like random dropped threads mm -hmm. that it's like oh well i'll just i'll just expand on whatever that was and now whatever i i did is is part of that canon but we know that um any of the games books or comics before what is it the uh, the seventh uh star wars movie are no longer considered part of the canon the yes, only thing in the, the canon yeah, but they have recuperated some of them and chosen to continue yeah, some they, of they it. Yeah, they cherry-picked like, bits like Thrawn and put them into like the new universe. The bigger thing that I can think of that really starts to cement it as a transmedia is that Darth Maul is supposed to be a villain that reappears in Solo, which obviously there was a sequel mm -hmm. planned there that never happened. Mm. But that the reason that he's alive is a thing that was referenced in the Clone Wars Correct, like yeah. years and years before any of this. And... Um, Boba Fett being back is a thing that was a thing in the comics or one of the EU novels ages mm. ago. So it's not obviously That's it started it's not in Marvel old. Comics uh, not too long after Return of the Jedi. But it's a lot messier because Star oh, Wars yeah. is sort of by oh, yeah. definition an anthology mm. piece anyway. Uh, also you can like, expect a lot of the new canon stuff to be rendered non-canonical as soon as it becomes an inconvenience for Disney. Right, right. And and we have a little bit of that with the the, the TV shows and the movies kind of interplaying. And the Lego very, stuff is obviously not canon. At least I hope yeah. it's not. But very few of the video game – I don't think any of the video game stories are referenced by any of the movies. But then we have the – like Rebels kind of fits in there in a weird way. Mm. And there, there's a it's, – it's a lot more tenuous. Mm. But I had one other one that we came up with, okay. and, and it, it really fits, and it's near. 
because Nier was originally derived from a joke ending of a different video game series entirely. Then they made Nier Replicant slash Gestalt, depending on what country you're in. Then there was a stage play slash musical in Japan that was the next piece of the canon that then leads into Automata, which then turns back on itself in the new Nier Replicant. So it, it has much more of that weaving back and forth between disparate medias. Uh, but that one's uh, also driven by a specific known nerd-ass auteur creator, Yoko Taro. I feel like Transformers, in some stages of its existence, sort of strayed into the here. But uh, mm. um, there's two, the, what you'll find is with the really big successful things, uh, then there's there's they by design, even the big ones, DC and Marvel, have to reset every now and again and render a whole load of complicated stuff non-canon just so that their new writers have a chance to write something fresh and the ones which don't quite succeed well you have the matrix well, and I'll- riddick the way transmedia works in the mcu by the way can be observed most acutely in the one-way relationships of the tv shows agents of shield and everything from netflix Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, and the Defenders, who were notable by their absence from the big finale of Endgame. This means all the shows mention Thor and Magic Hammers, and they might have something from the MCU in them, so Lady Sif might show up. But nothing that happens in them, I'm sure a fan will say, um, actually, in one episode, very little that happens in them is referenced in the MCU movies and now the MCU Disney Plus TV shows, which are just long movies. And collections of short animated films. But that doesn't count with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the Netflix shows, even though the Netflix shows are also just long movies. Meaning they exist in kind of a pocket universe inside the MCU. You could say the same about Agent Carter, but then Jarvis turned up in Endgame. You could say the same about the two Venom films, but then there was a stinger in Spider-Man No Way Home. And of course, Spider-Man No Way Home reincorporates movies that were made decades before. So with Marvel and their multiverse, it kind of transcends transmedia. But crucially, what Victoria's saying is everything in transmedia is canon. Everything happened and nothing needs rebooting. And there's got to be examples that we've missed. Tweet us examples of transmedia where everything is canon. At School of Movies. Oh, one thing not to tweet us is quibbling over the definitions of what constitutes a movie or not. That's actually the least interesting aspect of this. Because the Animatrix is a movie. And yet, it's not. And once this contradiction has been accepted, we can talk about transmedia. With regards to the Star Wars thing, I think yes, the, you can compare them in terms of what they what they do and how they jump backwards and forwards between different types of media, and to some extent weave them in successfully. But I think the the key difference is that you have this selection of stuff which is has these two godmothers who just create all of it and and are the root source for all of this stuff and other people are joining in with them and working on their ideas whereas with something like Star Wars it has become so big that it's people bolting on stuff that they think is going to make money Mm. which Mm. is a very different um, creative approach to what the Wachowski yeah what we're looking at here is an authored 
transmedia experience mm. where the Wachowskis were involved in every step. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh-hmm. Mm-hmm. Another one that could potentially uh, be judged this way is uh, Joe Rowling's Magical World if it gets to the point where they start doing TV about it. I guess. <sighs> and I mean, I think they've got video that, games that are technically canon and bleh. Yep. Calling that transmedia feels wrong for, for a moment. <laughs> oh, oh, God, that hurts. I'm so sorry oh. to even invoke it. That's, that's beautiful. I feel like that's the end of the conversation right yeah, there. I just wanted to pose that question. Because okay. it really makes the Matrix stand out as unique mm. in the media landscape. Because yeah, of that. they were definitely trying something new with this, uh, with varying degrees of success. Right. It's the kind of thing we talked about a lot in my communications studies programs as like the potential of intermedia stuff and also uh, an extension uh, internet stuff, what they didn't get into nearly as much, but definitely would have if they'd been doing it a little bit later. Mm. And yeah, outside of like large brands kind of just releasing media that's vaguely connected in a lot of formats, it never really took off as the like big storytelling revolution that it was, you know, mm-hmm. set up to be. So, oh, hang on. Maybe- How about uh, Army of Darkness? The film? No. There's com- no comics and no, a TV the, show? No, video they, games? Ash vs. the Evil Dead? No? Nothing? They're not, con- they're not canonical. Oh, they, they, they don't tie back in. None, Every the video single games of the don't first three Evil movie. Dead movies, like Evil Dead 2, Redcons, Evil Dead yeah, 1. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Redcons, Evil Dead 2. Oh, horseradish. Yeah. I thought I had one there. <laughs> that would have been beautiful, though. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, G- Ghostbusters? Uh, no. Nah, yeah, multiple not, dimensions. Been, it doesn't count. No. <laughs> Yeah, none of the shows or the games tie in. It's, it's a harder question to answer. It wasn't. No, a- <laughs> I am so sorry. No, um, the the Ghostbusters video game technically ties in with films one and two, which would and should mean, I think, that the f- fourth film that came out at the late end of last year, uh, Afterlife is part of that as well. But, I mean, it's reaching. There's no TV series and that And it doesn't, that. it doesn't reference back. You don't get anything from the game that feeds into the... Yeah, no, they don't acknowledge the game. But, boy, does all of Ghostbusters acknowledge that first film over and over again. Yeah. The whole fucking <laughs> franchise. Not necessarily transmedia, but the, canonis, the, the canonical connections in The Matrix do remind me a little bit of how Kingdom Hearts functions and how mm. literally every random side function, like even the rhythm game is canon and has like story information in it. And if they make yeah. another game afterwards, I highly expect it'll be referenced because they just do that yeah. with well, literally we everything. Of, we talked about Kingdom Hearts too, but they're all video games. It's not really transmedia because it's all the same medium. There was a yeah, lost exactly. video Unless. game, Via Domus, that was a uh, was technically canon with the rest of the series, but there was never a lost film. Yeah. Was there yeah. an X-Files video the- game that was canon? Because they had films as well. Unless for Kingdom Hearts, you count all of the Disney movies Blah. and their television shows. <laughs> don't even reference. start on Kingdom yeah. Hearts. Daniel Floyd tried to explain it, and I went cross-eyed in four seconds. Yeah. It, it, and he hadn't even got to the end of the first title. Like I like I told Evie and, and Lynn whenever they brought up Kingdom Hearts, that Kingdom Hearts only counts as a transmedia property if you also count the nightmares and the fever dreams that go into it. <laughs> True. Uh, oh, Indiana Jones? 
technically with young Indiana Jones and the video games are technically in canon. I mean, they don't get referenced, is the thing. That feels a bit Mad Maxy. It just kind of happens. But I mean, it's it's always the same Indiana Jones. That's a given, but uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bit neater than Star Wars. Having made such an intricate world and incorporated so many different media platforms into it, that does kind of From explain. PlayStation 2 games to very early PC games yep. and all the others. <laughs> but yeah, I'm including like TV and, and film. And, and, well. and the Animatrix yeah. and all the other TV shows. Yeah. Um, and maybe haven't. one tech demo for <laughs> the Unreal Engine. And there's going to be comic books in there somewhere. There was a sunglasses ad in there. There was, to, yeah. yes. But the that does explain, in a way, why I feel like a lot of the Wachowskis' later stuff feels somewhat trammeled, like they didn't have enough space to do all the stuff they wanted to do with it. I demand a six-part Jupiter Ascending series now. <laughs> Same. Make it so! That's uh, the Eddie first Redmayne. movie I saw with my husband in, in theaters. It's very important to me. Okay, let's cover the Animatrix. And for perspective, the first film launched in March of 99, that's The Matrix, two months before The Phantom Menace. Like The Phantom Menace was like, it's going to be the biggest film of the year. And then The Matrix was like, we'll have your dessert. Thank you very much. Then there were four years of waiting and rampant speculation and two films being made back to back over a punishing amount of time amid mutating fan theories and claims from the studio that the once completed Matrix trilogy would be the greatest cinematic experience of all time. Mm. Meanwhile, culture was changing. We had crossed the waterline of the millennium and computers didn't bring about the apocalypse. At least not right away. 2001 saw 9-11 and the Age of Terror began, and the rise in crazy white guy public and school shootings in particular most definitely propelled the character of Neo from his visuals of being armed as a dissenter laden with urban military gear into a fighting, flying techno-monk in a long black Armani cape coat. Rage Against the Machine and System of a Down, notably as well, were banned from radio play. Who were the uh, the country singers who dissed George W. Bush? Uh, formerly known Chicks. as the Dixie Chicks, yes. now known as just the Chicks. Were they also banned from the radio as a result of criticizing George W. Bush? More yeah. or less. Brilliant. <laughs> Dear Mr. President, <clears throat> it was no longer accepted to hate the way America was run. And notably, following a botched election in 2000, aided by Fox News announcing Bush Jr. as winning Florida before it turned out that he didn't, America had pivoted from democratic peace to Republican fear-mongering. 90s versus noughties was a very fucking different time. Matrix 2 was released in May 2003 at the same time as Enter the Matrix, the PlayStation 2 game where you got to play as Niobe and Ghost, who was a guy that you probably won't have noticed hanging around in the background of some group shots. Am I wrong in thinking Ghost was secretly in love with Trinity? We watched some of that footage earlier today. Oh, I I can at best picture this man's face. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. 
A month later, the Animatrix launched on DVD in June, and we could finally get some backstory. And so much of it was creatively designed to cultivate a more complex viewpoint of the Matrix in general. There's a very specific reason they waited until film two was done, till Neo had had his revelation to get people's brains whirring, then release the Animatrix a couple of months later. But before the third film, it is often beautiful and occasionally it's really ugly, seemingly on purpose, as an explorative, inquisitive assortment of symbolic tales. We're going to go through them in order, and uh, if you hit play all on the Blu-ray, you get them in this order, though each segment can be viewed individually. <clears throat> so, the final flight of the Osiris, uh, and I will give a quick synopsis of each of these just so we don't have to go into too much detail as to what actually happens in them. Uh, but after a training session that turns into a flirtatious game of slicing one another's clothes off, two sexy humans on the Osiris hovercraft bear witness to the machines drilling down to Zion just prior to film two. The race is then on to get a warning message through within the Matrix and to buy the human race some time. But the cost is the entire crew of this ship die. So, uh, what did we all think of this film that if you went to see Dreamcatcher in March 2003, you could see this and Man, then leave quick before seeing Dreamcatcher? That would have been such mood whiplash, because it goes... Yeah. Oh, God. Did this? anyone else see uh, Final Fantasy colon The Spirits Within, which is the nope. same yes. animation style? I, I, I did. For my show. I did opening day. I walked across... I, I walked for... Th- like three hours to get to the movie theater. Oh to see my Final god! Within the, for the, the the very first showing, the day it came out, with my entire friend group. Hashtag it worth was it. A choice that we had made. <laughs> the only the only thing I have to say about this one, aside from it, it, it coming after we know the Osiris is gone, kind of undercuts um, yeah. any sort of dramatic tension. But um, watching this again recently all i could think of was that netflix series love death and robots mm-hmm. it is very the, love death the and animation robots. is kind of in that zone and it's also just horny in a really weird way it is very horny the horny works this- for me in this one i'll give them that uh and the animation is much better than spirits within they really have figured out how to make it look I think really good. I, think- I, I wish that that studio had gotten the opportunity to make more stuff because this was, you know, a really good proof of concept if nothing else. A big part of that for me, I think, is that the performances are a lot better than the Spirits Within ones. And that mm-hmm. the 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 animation has that sort of slightly too rounded feel to it, but it, it is more consistent with the performances that are being given and so it it feels more real to me at least also it's about instead of being based on a video game it's in a digital world so you might be able to give a little bit more leeway one of the one of the things about this is i i honestly feel that this just should have been the first five minutes of the matrix reloaded yeah it it gives you a lot of good matrix flair like it would have been really stakes it would have been a solid like counterpoint to the opening of the original film in that you have a person of significant abilities on a, you know, on a chase mission and this time they don't make it but you didn't you get to see the big dramatic consequences. It also uh, shit, you know, I should the, have reordered and re- and edited this into my cut of it. Damn, now I'm regretting not doing that. Okay, carry on, sorry. 
and it and it also does provide a little bit of warmth. Like you know, it is kind of weird being like super horny during during your your I guess shared video game sparring time. But mm. that also I you know I'm always a big proponent of if you make a sword fight that is a metaphor for fucking, that makes your sword fight that much better. And it's like this, the Olympics, how everybody fucks there. If you've got the top of your skill level and you're facing down an opponent you find hot, there's gonna be tension. Exactly, but it, it also gives you just a little bit of that, since so much of Reloaded and Revolutions rests on the, we have to believe that Neo and Trinity are just so much in love and that this kind of like, you know, all or nothing passion for another person can drive you to do these insane things. And Final Thought of the Osiris is like that tempest in a teacup. It's like mm. letting you know this connection exists not just between Neo and Trinity, but it is something mm. that while the rest of the world is kind of like cold and and a little bit, you know, raggedy sweatery, that we do still find the time and place for these like really fierce burning passions. It has the big stakes and the small stakes. Uh, and in this scenario, the small stakes are sacrificed. Whereas in Neo's case, what he's doing is not just small stakes when he decides to break the cycle. So it's kind of, this is what people judged the end of the second film was. Only Neo makes the other choice and says, let's get the Osiris out of here. Fuck Zion. (laughs) But that's not actually what happened at the end of the second film. It was all about this system is fucking broken. The only way I can fix it potentially is to not do what's been done six times before. Okay, speaking of a broken system, um, and, well, the other thing I really like about Final Flight of the Osiris, uh, and, and you're right about this would have made a great opener, they've got the opportunity to use their EMP at any point to get the Sentinels off their backs and save themselves. They never do, because the lady is in the Matrix running as fast as she can. Even after she's delivered the message, there's technically a little bit of extra time that they could have activated the EMP, but it is just too dangerous. They have weighed the lives of the quarter million people in Zion against their own and just gone straight for the needs of the many. So next up, Second Renaissance, parts one and two. Welcome to the Zion Archive. You have selected historical file number 12-1. The Second Renaissance. beginning there was man and for a time it was good but humanity's so-called civil societies soon fell victim to vanity and corruption then man made the machine in his own likeness oops pardon me <laughs> coming through thus did man become the architect of his own demise. So Second Renaissance is a double-length history of the war between AI and humankind going from robot butlers to their own sovereign machine nation capable of overwhelming us in war. This is all going to sound kind of far out for folks who have never seen the Animatrix, but like that was... It, back in 2003, it was like, oh, did you not see the Animatrix? Oh, it, it explains so much. And so people were going into revolutions who really should have had some of this stuff made clearer in either of the two fucking films. That's the danger with transmedia properties, though, mm. is that you're going to miss out on some stuff, and we're really 
clocking towards that point in the MCU these days. Mm. It's gonna people be... just skipping stuff like the Eternals, or just uh, skipping like twenty. Like they've made more content this last year yeah. than they did for the entire Infinity Nine Saga. It's, things. It's a lot yeah. <laughs> to take in. These two segments about the history of the Robot War were easily my favorite mm. of the entire Animatrix. Um, the animation is really good. Um, the visuals of some of the robot armies are just being made out of scrappy whatever little androids, but they are still out there on the front lines yeah. was really affecting. Um, and I, 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 I want to make this one observation. Uh, you know, Matrix as a metaphor for the man keeping down the gays or whatever group of uh, oppressed people. Um, this sets them up as the original oppressed people and then they became the oppressors, which is a great example of how sometimes you gotta leave things as a metaphor because <laughs> if it becomes too literal, now we're saying, oh, well, the gays got oppressed and then they became the oppressors and that's just, no. <laughs> it's worrisome. It's the, the whole Stormtrooper paradox as well of, of like, oh, Stormtroopers are cool. They are Nazis, though. So let's sell them to kids on lunchboxes and T-shirts and costumes. Well, they are Nazis, though. There's a lot of weird elements of that for the second Renaissance because uh, they use a lot of iconography and a lot of imagery that mm. is of real world, like rebellions against authoritarianism. There's like a Tiananmen Square like shot. Oh, yeah. There's a bunch of that is to me really uncomfortable to watch uh, for, for most of it. They deliberately name check the Billion Robot March, which is also alluded to in Futurama and has its roots in the Million Man March, which was a large gathering of African-American men in Washington, D.C. in October 1995, organized by Louis Farrakhan. The march took place in the context of a larger grassroots movement that set out to win politicians' attention for urban and minority issues through widespread voter registration campaigns. On the same day, there was a parallel event called the Day of Absence, organized by women in conjunction with the March leadership, intended to engage the large population of black Americans who would not be able to attend the demonstration in Washington. And then two years after the March, there was the Million Woman March. So with all the best intentions in the world, the Animatrix deliberately name-checking and riffing on that drifts close to Deus Ex Mankind Divided and their mechanical apartheid. A nomenclature which rightfully drew ire when the Eidos Montreal game launched seven years ago now. There are absolutely ways to draw parallels without being so goddamn on the nose. And I would like to point out that the machines at this point are not only justified in oppressing humanity, I would like to say, but are also doing it in a more humane way than the humans did to them. That's They're exactly what Willow said. Uh, they yeah, they were like, you know what? Maybe humans deserve to be in pods. Yeah, the humans are in a zoo and they are, uh, you know, being well cared for in a sense. But I have a, a, a different observation about these that I think is also mm. relevant. Okay. It begins with going into an element of the Zion archives mm. and it begs the question, who made this? Because we know that the machines made the Zion for the humans to live because it's all part of the layers of control. Is this in-universe pro-machine propaganda? And if it isn't, like, doesn't that help it a little bit? Because the the it even shows the archivist the uh, is being a digital intelligence mm. that is like clearly cares about the humans a bit. Yeah, they, so, they are. She's exhibiting compassion for a human in a pod at the end. Yeah, it's so, it's a wistful feeling after there's some 
fucking savagery in this one. Like, there's some really upsetting stuff, not only in the war scene, the uh, the robot lady being beaten to death by a oh. gang of guys with pipes is really upsetting. The imagery in this one is by far the most brutal of mm. any of them. It, it, it goes some really dark places, and I don't think that's uncalled for in mm. what they're exploring, but it is, I mean, extreme trigger warnings if any of you haven't seen the Animatrix and you want to seek this out. This yeah. one's a hard set. It's, it, yeah. I, I love it. I think it's extremely interesting, and I think... I don't think it's straight up propaganda for the machines because throughout the entirety of both parts of the second Renaissance, the archivist, the like AI telling you this story is clearly sympathetic to both sides, mm. repeatedly saying things like bless all forms of intelligence. Hashtag I think they just see this <laughs> as a tragedy of both sides failing to ever find a better solution but mostly what the second renaissance proves is that humans struck first. It's entirely humans' fault all of this happened. <laughs> the, is... the robots never do anything to initiate conflict. Mm. Nothing. They, they, they are What they end up doing is still a form of self-defense. And ultimately, it, it echoes that uh, <laughs> kill all humans thing that we're convinced that AI is eventually going to get to if we're not careful. Hey, sexy mama. Want to kill reason, all humans? Because ultimately, the whole thing about the sky scorching... The it machines, was us who first scorched the sun. Machines can sun. see that humans are thwarting themselves as much as they're thwarting the machines by doing that. And for them to draw the conclusion, you know what? The only way we can protect you at this stage is to put you in pods and stop you from doing anything worse to yourselves, not just to us. Our supreme control is better this way. We don't hate you, but we are going to... Exactly. They wouldn't give us the Matrix if they weren't interested. Yeah. They'd just make us long pigs. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I think what, what Victoria said about this, this being in the Zion on mainframe does beg the question who put it there and also has anybody in Zion actually seen it because I don't think anybody could watch that and not go yeah, alright they've got a point yeah. no it's mm -hmm. a, I think that's just uh, that that is a file on Zion mm. that the matrix holds gotcha okay rather I than something for Zion I see okay that makes I sense I think the second renaissance is most interesting as an expansion of the cyclical nature of the Matrix that you're introduced to at the end of Reloaded. Yeah. The mm -hmm. idea that even before there were Matrixes, there were intelligent beings initiating systems of control on one another in ways that justify violence as a reaction. Because mm -hmm. you can't accept these kinds of levels of control whether it's the humans controlling the robots or the robots controlling the humans it's not the way forward it also seeds the idea that the robots ultimately are our children and what do children do they imitate their parents and what do mm. abused children do and neglected children do? I learned it from watching you, Dad. Yeah. Humans creating and then shedding all responsibility for machines, abusing them, waging war, and ultimately falling to a more swiftly adaptable species. That's what survival of the fittest means. It's not referring to the strongest. There's a strange tone when the war actually kicks in at the beginning of part two because it puts on a track uh, called Super Moves by Overseer.
which is that one that goes, and it's like, yeah, kick ass. It's like playing Wipeout or something. But it's it's showing humans being fucking torn to shreds in World War One type imagery, and 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 there is very overt Holocaust imagery as well, which frankly even Lenny Riefenstahl didn't use as propaganda for the Nazis. It wasn't, yeah, look at the skulls. You know, no matter how much Nazis do love skulls. Hans, I've just noticed something. These communists are all cowards. <laughs> Have you looked at our caps recently? The badges on our caps. Have you looked at them? What? No. They've got skulls on them. <laughs> are we the baddies? Is this supposed to be kick-ass? Because it's not kick-ass, it's horrible. So I'm not sure whether this is propaganda or rumination upon the horrors of war because we appear to be being given both at once. I was going to say that my, my take is that it is there, but it is not fabricated, that it is the machines, like, having put it in the Zion archives to, like, hopefully somebody looks at it and they break out of the cycle. But that that's just, that's it. The, the whole thing about that, that specific moment that you're talking about, like when we start seeing the, the charging like robot horse to, mm. to that, um, that definitely feels like, it, like it's intentionally um, propagandist, but it's very clearly the sort of propaganda that like humans tell ourselves, the, the specifically showing all of, all of these religions being turned to fanaticism. And how all of these these blind beliefs lead humans toward a path of self-destruction feels a little bit more more omniscient to the Wachowskis' point of view than the, the machines, because what the Wachowskis are going to be doing is is questioning that sort of blind belief and showing how cyclical and self-destructive it is. But it it also is so clearly a product of its time because this was the sort of thing that you could just turn on Fox News. And you would see like people basically wanting this sort of thing to happen just all across the Middle East in terms of like the the people pushing the like the televisions of the televangelists and the and the people, you know, going, you know, getting into their mechanical machines of, of destruction and just like raining down. And of course it it doesn't work for the humans because like about five minutes in they realize how hopelessly outclassed they are. But it's still very definitively the Wachowskis like showing like this this is what we do when we're faced with something that we perceive to be a problem that can only be solved with violence is we just become jingoistic and and almost religiously zealous about its eradication. Kid's story. 
This is the tale of Michael Karl Popper, the uh, kid who shows up in films two and three, the uh, the very enthusiastic uh, Notice Me Senpai kid. And uh, it's the story of how Neo helped him to free himself from the Matrix. Uh, and this contains uh, some, what I believe was trying to be compassionate depiction of teen suicide. It's a complicated one on that front for sure. In... <sighs> It, it, it's trouble. It's walking a really troubling line because it's at the same. It's it's in the Matrix, so you know he's right. You know that the world is fake, and that this is a way for him to better relate to reality and you know find his true self and all that stuff. But in the the things that are happening within the Matrix and in the text, it is a it is a teenage boy seemingly under the age of 16, somewhere around 15 at the oldest, jumping off of a building. It's... This 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 one's weird. Um, I don't find it actually kind of engaging on a story level, and, you know, knowing Kid from the later movies, it doesn't, doesn't really add anything there either. Him waking himself up out of the Matrix without the help of the red pill or the mirror body, whatever. Whatever their usual process is, he skipped it is the point. And I'm like, that's a neat idea, but it doesn't really lead to anything. The only thing I got out of this was I really did like the scratchy animation <laughs> style. Like, yes, that was cool. Lovely animation. And I really do think the Animatrix is one of the first things I came across that really showed me the potential of animation as a medium outside of like children's content, um, which is, you know, extremely important to me now as an adult. So I'm very grateful for it, regardless of the individual quality of some of the shorts. Yeah. This almost feels like an, an inverse of the the central, like tragic problem of, of inception with someone believing their world not being real and doing real bodily harm to themselves to try and wake themselves up. So it's it's just really hard for me to like look at that without just seeing the the suicide of it all. Um, but it, I, again, this feels like something that maybe we should have seen in the context of the films of the the possibility of being able to wake yourself up or or move yourself between the matrix and the real world because again that's something that we're going to be dealing with within the like text of the narrative later and i think it's conceptually much better handled in a later short in this very same collection um although they don't escape completely there is another character in another short who can push themselves to see the reality of the universe without you know jumping off the a building. racer the, the sprinter one, yeah. The suicide thing bothers me because there is a certain amount of creator responsibility where uh, they had to understand and accept that when... Film is a very powerful medium. When you put out something that is a huge phenomenon, kids, especially confused young teenagers like I was when I saw it at 19, uh, you know, even though I was just about to end my teens, my brain was very inquisitive. I crossed paths with a lot of people uh, online who were convinced the Matrix was real. They were convinced that this wasn't the real world. You get people even now saying that, that people don't exist, they're all NPCs. NPC theory is one of the most fucking bone-chilling of uh, uh, perceptions. And then when Avatar came out, there were people who were convinced that if they could die, they would be reborn on Pandora. So showing suicide equals freedom 
That comes with a hefty responsibility, and there is no payoff to that. There's no, like, they don't continue that. The kid effectively becomes a hero of Zion. And the weird thing is they they have like a, a, a method to do this and they if they just had him like recreate the leap of faith that Neo fails at, that that feels like just a I don't know. It feels like they they were like two or three rewrites away from kind of nailing that, and they just took the exact wrong path. The thing at the end, when it ends on "You Are Not Alone," is so powerful and so needed for confused, lonely young people. The encouragement to kill yourself should have been divorced from that as a concept. I, I, there, there were ways to get the kid out of the Matrix that didn't involve him throwing himself, like I said last week, eyes first onto iron railings. And they showed it twice. And it was like a dream, which suggests if you keep having dreams about killing yourself, maybe actually killing yourself might be a good idea. This one actually does kind of remind me of the sort of trans allegoriness of the whole Matrix thing, specifically the way he's just asking really vague questions on the internet. Um, I think that I, I do think the Wachowskis uh, were reaching out on that end a little, yeah. and that's another place where maybe recommending suicide is just a bad, uh, bad yeah. angle. I get their desire to address suicide because it is so. It does connect into so many layers of the demographics that they're reaching with this, especially trans kids, and they just—it's just so messy. They just don't. Yeah hit it. I, th I think there is a version even that deals with all of these things, or maybe you have to split it into two stories, but there, it does not work at the end of the day, at least not for me. Again, if you're a, a kid who's deeply depressed and you're watching this, uh, if it's shot from the perspective of the survivors of people... A very good friend of mine referred to it as uh, human shrapnel, that suicide... Uh, uh, causes the people who are left behind afterwards are left to wonder about the motives of the person who is now gone. It is a very personal, private thing, and I respect everyone's individual right to actually choose that. But to angle it in terms of you are seeing it from the perspective of the person who commits suicide and is then awakened to a whole new world, <sighs> it's like I say, it's, it's dangerous. I think we've kind of full stopped on this one, don't you say? Yeah. Listen to me. I have something I want to talk to you about. It's all right. I've blocked the signal so no one else can hear us. So what? You gonna propose? I'm going back to the Matrix, and I want you to come with me. Come on, be serious, Duo. Stop teasing me. I am serious, and you know it. I really thought you'd be with me on this. Anyway... It's done, and it's all been settled with them. What do you mean, it's all been settled? This is the only way. It's just a matter of time before Zion is wiped out. Come with me. Stop it. Please do not do this to me, Duo. We can't. We can! I've come to my senses. You should do the same. I took the red pill because I wanted to know the truth. But I don't care about the truth anymore. What's real doesn't matter. What's important is how we live our lives. Are you listening to me? You know I'm right. But we can't go back, Duo. We know the truth now. 
We can forget all of this. Duo. I know how. Trust me. Don't be afraid to look into your heart. Say what you're really feeling. Tell me. I can't. I don't know. Okay, so Program is a short story about a human uh, kind of put in a bit of a cipher situation, having reintegration with the Matrix offered to her. Her name, by the way, is Sis. Uh, during a training session. Uh, and this is from the uh, uh, creators of, uh, I think, uh, Ninja Scroll. And, um, oh, Vampire that's Entity. why it looks so familiar. Hmm. Um, I, I mean, yeah, no, this one's absolutely friggin' gorgeous. But, like, okay, I actually think it works really well as a sci-fi story. But it makes no goddamn sense as a Matrix story. I mean, what it turns out is, like, the guy she's having a fight with and loves her is actually just a training program to see hmm. how she'd react to being, like... You know, offered and out of the horrible life of a ro- of a rebel. So, like a which, high tech like, version of that uh, wooden dummy that Bruce Lee used to hit. Yeah. So, like, w- no, like that was obviously that super fucking traumatic to her. Like, why are they putting her through this? This makes no goddamn yeah. sense. Willow said, it "This actually, is the cruelest test I have ever seen." It reminds me a little bit of uh, V for Vendetta for the mm. whole like I'm oh, going to yeah. imprison you in a horrible situation and then you're gonna want to. Do the rebellion even more even though you were definitely already on our side and it's just like no. it seems like the Wachowskis are like that's rad maybe that's just what it feels like to be trapped in our reality so much of the time but it's not it, it's not a good way to process that issue hmm. <laughs> um, very pretty uh doesn't doesn't work <laughs> extremely pretty it has a lot of good like the the tension like the function of it as like a narrative arc is very effective, yeah. but within the wider universe and also just imagining that person's life after this point. Yeah. No. Very I was bad. Like, is this a fucking hazing ceremony? Did they put everyone through this program or do they, do they have to be thinking about eating steak? Cause they don't want to eat frog jizz all the time. I don't know. But like the way the, like she smacks the captain and the way she gets out of the chair and she's in her underwear and all the other men in the room are just kind of like, you know, giving, giving her the like, thumbs up. Yeah. Smiles. It's like, no, it made me very uncomfortable right there at the end. Mm. I didn't like it. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. This used to be one of my absolute favorites, but watching it now, I'm like that th- this doesn't mean anything. I mean, it does. It just doesn't mean as much as I need it to. The fact that uh, Duo is played by Phil Lamar, who's Samurai Jack, a voice we should trust, makes it even crueler um, amidst so much other stuff. So, uh, yeah. An interesting case, but nothing to be concerned about. His memory of the race was expunged with no residual effects. He will never run again. He will never walk again, for that matter. We'll continue monitoring him for a while, but anticipate no problems. A record that will live on in people's memories for years to come. What more could anyone ask for? Did you say something? Sit down. Free. Sit down. World record, a sprinter runs so goddamn fast that he busts right out of the Matrix. 
This I is mean, one of my favorites of the entire collection, just wow. from a standalone step point. Sorry. Okay, <laughs> go for. I could, Brenda. Do you want to go? Um, just, just the way that the the animation just captures the the sense of of speed and exhilaration of like kind of hitting that runner's high. This, this is like I feel like this is the sort of vein they really should have tapped into. You know, I think it was Mackenzie who. who name checked it as like an alternate version for for busting yourself out of the matrix but it's also just like inherently tragic because of the way it ends mm-hmm. and it's one of those things that it really fits within the fiction a lot better than than a couple of these you know like the you know we were talking about the training program one that's just like that just seems kind of like weirdly mean and at odds with still trying to be on side with with any of the human characters and this, while it lifts right out, it it makes the world seem just deeper in that you're getting a broader wealth of experience. And it's like one of those like perfect little examples of what the Wachowskis were trying to do with the transmedia things like this makes everything feel richer and fuller, but you're never going to miss it if you don't see it in terms of the wider narrative. This one's also um, just a real outlier in terms of animation. Uh, they're going for a sort of like gross out effect with the over animation of muscles. And it, it ping pongs wildly between, oh, wow, that actually looks like someone running. And like, why are you showing me this? Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know what? If you came from that sort of 90s era of anime and adult animation on, like, liquid television or whatever, mm, this I is exact, it's exactly that kind of shit. If that's your shit, it's really good. I do I, – I, I like this one a lot just as a neat idea. Um, the only thing I have to say against it is the way they've decided to stylize the agents – is just so off from like the established designs that mm. it legitimately is kind of narratively confusing. It did answer, well, answer, pose, intersect with a question that arose for me with regards to, uh, without going into detail, the deal that Neon. Neo? Neo. God damn you, Cypher. <laughs> the deal that Neo makes um, at the end of Revolutions in that. It, it baffled me as to why the machines and the agents specifically are trying so hard to stop people from self-actualizing out of the Matrix. Yeah. Having already established it's so rare that it, it really shouldn't... They, they should be like, yeah, whatever. We, we, we have a percentage of... Uh, wastage, which we allow ourselves. So it, it the percentage is so small that they would have to be thousands to even hit one percent. Absolutely, but it does kind of make sense with this particular architect, and it did sort of make me think. Well, that is why that's an important part of what Neo negotiates for mm. at the end. It also works when you remember how much um, retail stores will make a big deal about, um, you know, uh, shoplifting. Shoplifting. (laughs) You know, in terms of, like, total lost sales, like, Mm. people just stepping on clothing and making them unsellable is way more damaging to their total, like... Oh, seriously? Yeah, it's, it's insane how, like, big a deal they make out of shoplifting when in terms of total lost amount of money... It's it's a nothing, but it's a it's an element of control that they can exert over their like in store employees. Yeah, it's like uh, government's guess... making a big deal about benefit fraud when they lose way more over government cock up. Yeah, there's 
th- there's also the government the cock up possibility. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> It's very specific, and it makes me feel like that's happened to your government. My government did make a, a pig fuck of it. <laughs> yep. It's weird. It's weird that of the last two prime ministers you've had, he wasn't even the worst one. Yeah, well, indeed. David Cameron fucked a pig. Sorry. <laughs> Just to be more specific about what we're talking about. You're never gonna let us forget that, are you? <sighs> I mean, honestly, one would like, not. <laughs> he done a Brexit is way worse. <laughs> Sorry, uh, who was saying something about shoplifters? Um, well, just to uh, kind of like offer an, an additional support for not necessarily that the, the agents are like necessary in what they do, but they do prevent the possibility of a, a like cascading exponential like so and so sees like a group of leather mommies jumping over buildings and mm. immediately the more people you see doing that, the more you're going to start questioning like, Wait Those leather mummies have it down. <laughs> yeah, it's like, wait a minute. Was- what if I could be a leather mummy too? And and so of course, you know, you've you've got to have like some control and sort of like just keeping people from seeing that all the time. But the agents uh, weren't keeping Neo away from that club where you can listen to the Prodigy and uh, uh, Rob Zombie and meets Trinity with bare shoulders. That's where you get all of your brain corrupted. But they wanted to track down Trinity and Morpheus hmm. and use him as. Bait, essentially yeah. so that that makes sense within that narrative We're i really like this video. one showcasing the the reality that anybody in the matrix could theoretically at any time do the kind of crazy physics defying stuff that all of the rebel characters do if mm. they just push themselves to do it and believe that it's possible and it's very interesting to give an opportunity to somebody other than a, a mad computer hacker to like mm. witness reality through the mastery of something, yeah. which yeah, I really love compelling. The, the fact that it taps into the idea of getting in the zone, which can be done in a number of uh, pursuits, artistic and in this case athletic. It illustrates that there is genius on all of these different spectrums. I'm just imagining a guy doing the sickest guitar solo ever and breaking himself. Yeah, Hendrix burst into flames and disappeared. No reason to get excited. more or less see like a version of that in soul with like the uh, the groove or the, the the place that they share between the planes mm. we're circling the airport on this matter there's a subtext here the fact that this athlete is grabbed by white dudes and not allowed to leave he's not allowed to attain he's not allowed to uplift himself he's not allowed to be self-mobilized he's not allowed freedom 
It's a searing indictment on the world of sports. Straight out of Candyman. They love what we make. They do not love us. He is dragged back and kept at the end. He's caged. It's... Uh, it's not subtle. But I respect no. it. We want you running on that track or not at all. Uh, what, uh, what's next on your order sheet? Because this is completely different from the order I watched on HBO Max not long ago. All right. Um, next, uh, should be Detective Story. Oh, oh. this one, this one sucked. Like, <laughs> very... <laughs> what? Willow's favorite, because Willow really? loves noir. This guy has no business being in the same universe as leather-clad Trinity. He I'm has sorry. no business being there! <laughs> Okay, right. Um, actually, no. The next one on in our on our Blu-ray, which is what I would consider, you know, fuck HBO. The Blu-ray is the official version. Is <laughs> actually or the DVD. Oh, the DVD. Okay, right. We were very lucky to be able to get this. It cost me a pretty penny, by the way. I mean, I, I bought this years ago and kept it on my shelf for precisely this purpose. So we're gonna do it. Okay, beyond. This next one is actually my favorite. Yuki, is that you? There you are, Yuki. Come here. I've been looking everywhere for you, bad cat. Bet you're hungry, huh? is haunted. It is about a young lady uh, looking for her cat, and she finds it's the middle of what appears to be sort of a lazy Sunday, uh, a sunny afternoon in uh, an area in Japan, and she finds a haunted house where local kids are playing with what appear to be glitches. So, what did we think of um, this one? I adore I, this I, one. This whole segment reminded me of Thor the Dark World. Yeah, with all the throwing of stuff. I think Thor the Dark World pinched quite a few bits of this. I do think it did. And that was my main takeaway. I mean, it's very pretty and cool, but I didn't really get much as a story out of it. Yeah, I really, really liked this one. This is, I think, the one that stuck with me the most on my like first watch through whenever I mm. initially watched this in my early teens sometime. I don't know exactly when. 
because it it's very grounded in a way that's very interesting. It's showing day-to-day lives of people in the Matrix in a way that I don't think any of the other mm-hmm. material Across all really this gets transmedia. Yeah. into. It's about this girl who, as a virtue of living in this virtual machine, can witness things that are just unexplainable. And instead of, like, having some kind of a mental breakdown about it, just kind of, like engages with it and it kind of shows the potential of the matrix to not just be a terrible horrible prison for the mind but in the same way that they kind of use programs outside of the matrix to like learn stuff and have activities it's like there's a lot of really neat stuff just kind of floating around the edges if you want beyond is really neat uh it was evie's favorite Uh, I think it's a really fun mood piece. One of the things I really liked about it is the fact that this is the first time we started seeing the Matrix and the glitches in the Matrix Mm. being uh, depicted as video game-ish. Like, they're things that I would see in, like, a video game rather than... I feel like in the first movie, any of the the glitches kind of don't work in a video gamey way, but this one is It felt more like a passage between two worlds as opposed to the system fucking up. Yeah, yeah. It's like if somebody did the geometry wrong. Hmm. A specific and, line and of code went wrong and has looped on itself. Yeah. I particularly love the fact that it's uh, that the programs that come at the end with the agents to take care of the bugs are mm-hmm. the exterminators. Mm-hmm. I thought oh, that nice, was like yeah. a cool little joke. But, In terms yeah. of color and domestic living, uh, this is actually the closest, I think, to Matrix uh, Resurrections. Mm. Like you could imagine, this is taking place in Japan, uh, in in actually a later Matrix, maybe, uh, or even an earlier Matrix. There's very little; it doesn't concrete the time. Um, and you're absolutely right, uh, uh, Alexa, by saying this is has not much of a story. It's barely got a story. Lady looks for her cat, finds it. That's basically it. Uh, but what it is is transcendental it's one of the ones that really made me start thinking about reality and the uh, the creator uh, of this one is very much an artist who just sort of like gets consumed in his work and and um he specifically was talking in the making of about staring at wood grain and seeing the grain move and then his mother told him it was solid but that got him thinking about the fluidity of what we perceive as solid it's like we're touching the fabric of reality and can feel the texture of it. And that, to me, becomes a story that has no words and no beginning or end. It's all middle, but that middle is everything, if that makes any sense. The, the weather is a, a particularly significant factor for me, and this is one of my favourites as well. That sense of a, a sunny day where you can it's so quiet you can hear the insects and it feels like everything has just slowed down to a crawl to give you the breathing space to just observe everything in your immediate vicinity to such intense detail that you get lost in your own mind that's a very particular frame of mind that I Hold on. She's searching. Buffering. Miss. Haven't had for a while. Used to have on fairly regular occasion when I was a kid. Yeah. 
No amount of uh, people in big sweaters with holes in them talking in cold blue rooms about what to do next about these goddamn sentinels is going to match up with something that ponders our perception of reality for me. The last thing I wanted to note about this one is that it's also very interesting for being, I think, the only thing in the Matrix franchise that uh, deals with children mm-hmm. like and how they approach that. Because children, and, and the Matrix does mention this a few times and there are kids around, that they are much more likely to notice the like splits mm. in reality, the things that aren't what they were told. They're curious, they're looking into things, and they explore them, and they're not afraid of them. Mm. Inherently, they haven't been taught yet that this is something to worry about, and so they're just engaging with it. And it's it's really it really connects back to that like feeling of childhood and being willing to like explore things that maybe in hindsight you know weren't <laughs> weren't something that you would be allowed to explore if you'd ever <laughs> like thought to even say it because you don't even think to that it could be a problem. It does make me wonder if the the backstop of that statement about we don't free a mind after it's got too old That's what I was gonna go. is that they don't free minds that are too young because they haven't yet reached a point where they've made a decision about whether they want to stay in this world or whether they want to leave mm. it. Your window is in between. Mm. When they're teenagers asking enough questions and getting pissed off about restrictions. Yeah. 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 Yeah, you have to find like the the point where the mind is still elastic enough to accept the kind of informational bombardment they're going to be subject to, but has has an actualized sense of self to to pull them out. And the on the metatextual level, I think this is just like a really cool expression of finding a certain like creative groove and being able to d- just do things and see things a certain way. You know, one day you have that day where you write like 5,000 words or are able to do this, and then you come back to the same spot the next day and you're just like, oh, it's I, I can see where it used to be, and I just can't quite get back there yet. Also, I've just noticed in looking at the order, because mine ends in world record beyond detective story and matriculated, that's four in a row, the final conclusion, the last act of this, where something's about to be achieved by humans maybe even by humans and machines, and then sentinels or agents come along and fuck it all up. Because in this, much like in World Record, the agents come along and they close off the area with all the glitches, and in World Record they shut him away. It's very much like Brazil. It's it's like, okay, so... Only in Brazil, the end is that his mind is free anyway, even though he's been locked up. Whereas in World Record, he's still locked up and double locked up. It's I think so we can fucking depressing. Terry Gill- I think we can establish that Terry Gilliam is just fucking wrong about his own movie when it comes to Brazil. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not a fan of Brazil at all, but um, th- there's imagery and concepts in there which have been done in a similar fashion elsewhere. And Brazil itself has been very influential on a lot of things that I do like. So whether I like it or not, I am grateful that Brazil exists. Uh, Detective story. I'm hearing some people don't like it. (laughs) 
I, I don't hate I, it. I, I didn't. I didn't hate it. It just didn't do anything that I thought meant anything or added to the Matrix at all. It Anime added style to an already overflowing bucket of style. Yeah, well, this was Lynn's favorite. Oh, and, nice. Um, the the two things that I, th- I I think this brings to it, um, this was apparently done by the same crew who did Cowboy Bebop. I was gonna say there's a was, very Spike Spiegel like that slouch of the yeah. uh, detective at the end when he's holding the and gun. And the smooth jazz. Mm. I mean, come on. But it didn't uh, add but, anything apart from the smooth <laughs> jazz, the style, the cool well, clothes, I, the fedoras. I did. I the did. Black and white. <laughs> I did like that it depicted the real danger of trying to get somebody out. Mm. If the agents are onto you, they can jump into that person before they get the red pill. Yeah. And that is, a, like, shows such a problem at how fast they would have to move to mm. extract somebody from it. Because as soon as that gets picked up by the agents or whatever, because, like, they were actively pursuing Trinity, which is why they knew that they could jump into that yeah. guy as opposed to Matri- er, uh, Neo in the first Matrix. Some of and these I, are very spiritually linked to the first Matrix film, actually, with that whole sense of anxiety about the agents, because obviously the, the creators only had that to go off. Mm-hmm. And I, I love his, his stupid typewriter computer thing. It's pretty sick. I really dig the animation in this one. It's a very interesting style. It's flows extremely gorgeously in my opinion but yeah the narrative doesn't really have a lot to offer it's i'm not the biggest noir person in the world i like a good one but just the trappings of it alone aren't going to get me more or less interested in anything but i mean it's it's six minutes long you can't get much out of a noir in that time you just go style and credits (laughs) yeah it's the the biggest problem yeah that's the biggest problem with this one is that they're you know that this team can do fantastic noir detective yeah. cyberpunk stuff, but they're having to speed run through everything. And again, this is one of the places where I think the Wachowskis have like these really cool concepts and they just didn't quite give themselves enough space to play. You know, if, if this had been like a Netflix sort of, mm. maybe not even Love, Death and Robots, but or, or, or something that had like each section getting closer to that amount of time. Yeah, like an episode of Cowboy Bebop. I would gladly strike two or three off this list to extend the running time on Detective Story and get some more characters in there. It's conceptually really interesting seeing, like, an everyday person who, like, investigates stuff, like, engaging in the, like, Matrix stuff, not because they're a depressed computer man, but because they're, like, a paid detective. That's really cool conceptually. It just doesn't really have enough time to do anything with that. Honestly, it reminded me more of Lovecraft than cyberpunk, especially the way, like, other detectives have gone looking for Trinity and, like, one of them's just crazy in a padded cell. Well, that's the trick, right, is that the the cornerstone of that kind of cosmic horror is that the more knowledge you have of the way reality works, the the more unsettling that is. And the in, in a lot of those stories, either the protagonist, like, snaps and, and goes crazy quote-unquote or they like do something huge to try to like save who they can and usually die in the process so i think it's a very apt comparison
Next, oh finally, Matriculated, which actually might be my least favourite. It's one of my most favourite conceptually, but in terms of execution, it's a total mess for me. It's a meandering attempt by a ship of humans to manipulate and bring a single machine around to their way of thinking. Their effect, it is a visualisation of them hacking it. And they mostly, like Willow even declared, are they hacking it by mostly mocking it? Because all they seem to do is render themselves into naked human-ish, machine-ish figures, look at it, play from a distance, and then when the machine goes towards them, go <laughs> and run away for 16 straight fucking minutes. It's infuriating. And this is from the director Peter Chung from uh, Aeon Flux. Yep, it's 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 unmistakable. I really recognize the animation and utter lack of story coherency. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Also, also, also the other weirdly horny segment. Mm. <laughs> yeah, the robot wants to get down with this uh, human, and then uh, he ends up like resurrecting a human who has been killed by uh, um, Squiddies in the real world. He sort of, he grabs her digital soul and manipulates her back into being. And then just the very idea of fucking a robot drives her to insanity and she disappears with a scream. And oh, I assumed it was the, the shock of being brought back from the dead. I don't know, he was just getting, look, do you want to get down with the Mr. Robot here? Because, I, I don't know, he was horny. Yeah, because my interpretation But he wanted companionship, that, and yeah. that's the... Well, that much was evident, yeah, but my interpretation... It's all fucking that, wordless, by the way. You have to interpret everything uh, um, visually. Absolutely. Um, my, my take on that last bit was that he genuinely didn't understand the concept of human death. Mm. So he, he kind of brings back her residual digital self-image mm. and puts them and that briefly flashes back into her human form but then she's that's not meant to happen so the yeah. feedback loop just basically makes but it speaking of not meant to happen uh, willow picked up on the fact that they were manipulating it that, that rather than trying to actually convey abstract concepts to a machine which revolutions totally fucking has machines talking about them it has since day one they're performing some kind of weird arcane shag chromancy. <laughs> so, low-key, this might be my favorite one. Ah, okay, um, tell us why. It's so weird. Like, it is both my, my most and least favorite. At the same time, it's very strange. Yeah, like I said, um, I love it conceptually, but uh, but, yeah. the, but the execution is all uh, kind of... Well, it's, it's a macro for The Matrix Revolutions well, for me. Well, so I, I didn't actually read... I, I think the ending is extremely bleak, and I, I didn't actually read that, like, he somehow, like revived the human. I thought she was just knocked unconscious because he had saved her. It had saved her from the sentinel that was dragging her away and that it was basically like, but now we can be together because it was the last part of the weird LSD trip that uh, they were putting it on where like the robot was like reaching out to her digital self image. And it was like, no, no, I want to finish this. I want to let's get down, I guess, because it was so horny. But um it, it's such a bleak ending because she's just going to starve to death anyway. Like, mm. it's, it doesn't particularly matter, is, is the way I was reading it. I wasn't but, reading the ending as bleak because the robot is sitting, looking out over a, 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 a distance and thinking to itself. Well, That's surely worth, uh, you know, it, considering as a step forwards. It depends on if the robot can get out of their little mini matrix. Because I think the part of this that I, I find most interesting is in 
retrospective now that Resurrections has come out and we have met sentients, robot uh, machines, quote unquote, that have literally chosen to to work with the humans, there, there's a whole element of matriculated where they talk about, well, no, we need to convince it. We can't just hack it. It has to be it has to be its choice. Yeah. But then they frame the entire experience of their little weird psychedelic matrix in such a way as to try to convince it and show it like to cast off its its machineness and become more human mm. in a weird way, which is just the same level of manipulation that the machines are doing to the humans in a lot of ways. Yeah. In, in in the end, they didn't do anything but create a machine cipher, if you will. God damn you, um, cipher. I mean, basically, and, and this little human enclave feels to me like some weird, like, offshoot cult almost mm. uh, from the main Zionist forces. That and would explain is... a couple of questions I had about there is no way that a quarter of a million humans are all unified in this one cause, and the only people that argue argue with Morpheus. I am Morpheus and I'm going to say some things. Well, I'm grumpy and I'm going to say I disagree. Meh. Uh, and I, I th clear protagonist of the story, I disagree with you. Um, <laughs> and I'm grumpy and boring and have nothing to add to this. Uh, yeah, exactly. But I, I, that's kind of why I think Matriculated is... is like fascinating in its own way because it is expanding the world while not being really blunt about it. It's mm. it's in a weirdest way the least blunt of yeah. the various it's the Matrix most stories. Yeah. And and because of that, it, it makes me think of like this offshoot of the humans who are trying to do what the machines are already doing to the humans, but doing it to the machines and having essentially the same outcome mm. where this machine chooses to stay within this little weird psychedelic matrix instead of going and joining the humans or going back to the machines. It instead sits there and rusts. And I think that that's very emblematic of where the humans and the machines both are at that point in the reality of the fiction. Mm. And I appreciate now that we've gotten to see where that goes between the two forces in Resurrections, that it makes Matriculated somehow better to me in retrospect. Mm. Yeah, no, yeah, I'd agree with that. I, the, that. The, I mean, the Morpheus 2.0 has some heritage here. Hmm. I mean, he's I, I, definitely just as horny. <laughs> I would... I have similar feelings about Matriculated, where I really enjoy it conceptually, and I think that it's doing a lot of really interesting stuff, but it's not, I think, executing on all cylinders. Mm -hmm. And and as much as I enjoy that it's going for very symbolic imagery and trying to get stuff across in in that kind of way, which I think makes a certain amount of sense for like well if you're trying to explain humanity to a robot who has zero frame of reference for that just like talking to it's probably not actually gonna like work that well i kind of get the idea of like well show them something like humans use narrative to do everything right that's how we experience the world and i feel like maybe that that's an idea that's very interesting but I don't have any idea what they're trying to get across to this robot any of the time they're doing it. It just seems like they're torturing the poor guy mm. and, and trying to make him real horny, which like horniness is is certainly a part of humanity, but I wouldn't to say it's the most important thing. <laughs> <laughs> so 
Yeah, and, and there's a lot of different ways to interpret exactly how it's affected this robot at the end. Mm. Also, there's a monkey, which is weird. Also, there's a monkey? Also, there's a monkey. <laughs> I just, I know that this isn't important, but I'm very confused about how they have a monkey. It, oh, it's the bush baby looking thing, isn't it's, it? It's, yeah, it's an eye eye or something. It's jacked into the Matrix yeah. and everything. Mm. Which, like, you can you can get monkeys into the Matrix? Like, that feels like a whole other angle of things. You want so. the monkey to jack her in? <laughs> Again, I, I, don't, I don't think this one works um, entirely because of the idiosyncrasies of the director mm. who's doing the particular animation. Like, all this is just, like... I mean, don't sit through the Aeon Flux TV show if any of this was confusing just to even hear us talk about. And for goodness sake, avoid the movie. I was genuinely curious about whether or not the animated Aeon Flux stuff was any better than the movie or this, and I'm glad to hear that it's not, so I don't have to bother with it. Also, hashtag not real anime. It's made by an American (laughs) Korean dude who's just real horny. The not real anime tricks. I mean, what is real? Before we go, Richards on the School of Movies Discord pointed out a dabbling with transmedia that Lucasfilm performed with Star Wars in what turned out to bite them hard in the ass. Some key galactic power shifting that would play into the rise of Skywalker rather heavily was announced in a special broadcast from former Emperor Palpatine himself to kids playing Fortnite. I don't even know what that means. Is Fortnite in Star Wars? Is Star Wars in Fortnite? Is there that much cocaine that can make this feel like a good idea and not a hideous marketing decision? Was there any way of engaging cinematically without other people doing Fortnite dances and jabbering in front of you? Say something else. Dude, why don't I just beat my ass? Say something. Yeah. Okay, go. Say something. Mom, you have a flat chest. Oh my god! What is wrong with you, Thanos? What? That's not actually my mom, man. That's At last, the work of generations is complete. The great error is corrected. The day of victory is The day of revenge. The day of the how are you beating yourself then? I was abusing my chair. Oh my god. <laughs> I swear. I'm gonna add you on PSN. Why is that shit shaking? What the f is happening? Oh, he's fing in there! <laughs> Actually, that does feel like a lot of my cinema trips. Here marks the end of our Animatrix discussion, wound up being even better than the side road I had hoped for. The energy source that nourishes and sustains School of Movies is the people who gladly, willingly, and enthusiastically contribute to our Patreon every month, thus allowing us to furnish you all, including ourselves, with new information. And the top tier $15 sponsors get credit every episode, so thank you too. Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolfe, 
Kieran Dashler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Daniel Silgero, Dan Hepner, Dave Hickman, David Sheely, Duran Barnett, Finbar Nicole, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clayson, Joe G, Josh Waster, Kat Esman, Kevin Vahey, Lorraine Chisholm, Marty Hui, Matthew A. Siebert, Matthew Webb, Michael Hasco, Robbie Crow, Sarah Montgomery, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Toby Jungius, Tom Painter, Trey Contreras, and Valencia Burns. Turn in seven days with the Matrix Revolutions. This is Rage Against the Machine. Better time than now. 
brains, life is lost. 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 Shackle your mind and you're left on the cross. When ignorance reigns, life is lost.